Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. Oh, yes. Thank you for saying good morning back. People don't do it sometimes, and it's kind of weird. I feel like it's safe to say that we're the funnest. I know it's not a word, but we're the funnest community out there. We have so much fun, and we just love getting together. And it's special that we have Sundays that we get to do this. So I'm so grateful to see all the new faces that are here today and our recurring faces as well. Um, My name is Gabby, I'm one of the leaders here, and I will be guiding you in what's called our Centering Prayer. We truly believe that your connection with God is an internal connection. It's a relationship that you form within. So we have created this space so that you can truly just go within by letting go. So I want to offer you all an opportunity now. So just relax. Let go of what's happened before you arrived. We're going to take a few breaths and we're just going to breathe together, commune with God, and just connect. That sounds good? Amen, my friends. Let's close our eyes. Let's allow the spine to be nice and long. Allow the palms to face either up or down. And let's take a deep breath. Whatever that might mean to you, just start to connect with your breath. Let go of all that you experienced before you arrived. We start to release all the thoughts that are running through the mind. Letting go of all the energy, all the experiences allowing ourselves to be present, connected with this very moment. As you take a deep inhale, allow the belly to expand nice and big, filling yourself up. And then we vocally, we allow those shoulders to come down. We allow the body to relax a little bit more. We invite the mind to surrender. And we take another deep breath, inhaling nice and big, filling up the belly with a vocal. Allow yourself to enter into a state of peace. and observe the body. Observe all that's going on within you. 
Notice if there's any tension that you're holding on to. Notice if there's opportunities to open up a little bit more. Reminding ourselves that we are in a safe space, a divine space where we can surrender and be vulnerable. We are given the opportunity to open up our hearts and to welcome God in to our hearts by releasing and letting go we get out of our way and allow God to come deep within us we no longer listen to our limiting beliefs we no longer listen to the false narratives that our mind has created Instead, we welcome God's voice within us. Our God is a loving God, sharing his peace with you, his grace. We allow ourselves to forgive, to release, We allow ourselves to be free in this moment. We allow our faith to take us deep within our hearts. another deep breath, vocal, allow the body to relax even more, allow the mind to drift further away, and allow the body to feel light. the heaviness to come off the body, releasing and allowing God to pick you up, allowing his embrace to make you feel so light, lighter than you've ever felt before. Welcome this peace into your being. Welcome this stillness. And allow yourself to connect with the God within. That voice inside that reminds you there are no limitations when it comes to you. There is nothing you have done that pushes you away from God. 
and there is nothing you can do to not receive God's love. You are his child for this kingdom that we live on is yours. Let's take one more deep breath together. Really inhale nice and big. Vocally. Take a moment to notice how you are breathing now. How the body is feeling. How the mind is doing. Take a moment to remind yourself that this peace is your true state of being. That this love is found within you. So when you feel unaligned, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and go deep within. You may gently come back to your awareness, gently opening up the eyes. Amen, my friends, and so much love. Good morning, everybody. Listen, Danny was holding the mic this morning, so don't expect me to sound like he did. <laughs> I, told, I told God, I was like, it's good that you gave him the ability to see and not me. <laughs> I'd be singing the whole sermon. By the way, how beautiful was that center in prayer? One of the things that we, the leaders like to talk about this an amazing thing is like the synchronicity that unintentionally arises between the message in the centering prayer and the message in the sermon that day. And that message of vulnerability, of being fully open and fully authentic is such a major aspect of what we're gonna be talking today. And limiting beliefs, too. The release of limiting beliefs, that was huge. And it's so funny because talking about authenticity and vulnerability and all these beautiful concepts that Gabby mentioned, a few days ago, I was saying to myself, like, it just dawned on me that I've never actually been fully myself up here. Not fully. I've come with the intention of expressing myself and, and just being authentic, you know, because this is family, we could be real with each other. But I was evaluating my subconscious habits and there's a part of me that would still hold a little something back, that would still try to present in a certain way that might be acceptable. And I know that this is going to feel like a bomb drop to a lot of you guys that know me, but uh, I'm actually an emotional dude. <laughs> Dang, I didn't expect y'all to belly laugh over that, you know what I'm saying? Shoot. <laughs> but love you too. <laughs> there has been an 
inner awareness that like, even before I'd come up here, I would put a limiter on myself already saying, okay, keep it together. Keep it together. It's, 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 it's cool if we shed a little tear or whatever, but like, don't wall out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when I examined that deeper, it wasn't about being emotional. It wasn't about crying, because I don't mind crying in front of you. I'll look you in the face and cry. Try me. I'll cry like a gangster, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but on the deeper level, what I realized is I was suppressing a core element of what God put in me because the derivative of those tears was passion, that there's a fire in me. And because it's, it may be different at times, if I let that fire burn too hot, somebody might not accept it. And so I realized, wait, my job isn't to suppress the fire, my job is to let that fire burn up whatever it's meant to burn up. What, did I hit somebody? I don't know. <laughs> and so I'm simply saying that to say that, number one, Danny, thank you for letting me come up here today, but every time that I come up here, there is constantly a evolving and a shifting that's occurring. And it's like, I'm just so grateful that God gave me that insight. And now that I said that, I can pray. <laughs> Lord, we love you, we thank you. And I simply ask you that you would help us to enter into the present moment right now. That you would help us to enter into a state of love and a state of self-acceptance in a state of holistic acceptance. I pray that you would help us to just be right now, to not worry about criticism, to not worry about perceptions of others, to not even worry about our own perception, to just sink into this moment so that you can imbue our minds and our hearts with the insights that we need to grow closer to you. We love and we thank you, amen. <laughs> so you guys see the name of this message. The name of this message is Godly Psychosis. One of the most freeing things that I've come to find, not only when I look at the scriptures, but also when I look at the science, that God shows himself most powerfully in some of the greatest areas of dysfunction. That when you look at the scriptures, and I know I always talk about this, some of the most messed up people in the scriptures were the disciples that God chose. And then respectively, when we look at psychology, or we look at people, God will use dysfunction to bring some of the greatest insights, which is why one of the greatest areas that I have been able to use to learn about psychology hasn't been by looking at the things that our brain does amazingly. It's looking at the things that, or rather looking in the areas where our brain's functionality goes awry. Looking at pathologies, looking at dissociative identity disorder, looking at 
when people are experiencing hallucinations, what's happening there? What's happening when my own dysfunction isn't matching up with what I see for myself, with what I desire to step into in my life? And it's like, I don't know about y'all, I'll speak for myself since I said I'm gonna be authentic today, but there's plenty of dysfunction in there. If y'all just was perfect and I just had my dysfunction, I could spread it all around to all of y'all and we could both, we could all be messed up together. <laughs> Off my stuff, you know what I'm saying? I got enough of that. And it's like, the beauty is, excuse me, brother man, thirsty. <laughs> I told you it's gonna get authentic up in here. But the beauty is, I like to think about the truth that we call ourselves humans, even though our cells are 99% bacteria and only 1% human, which tells me that I could be 99% messed up and that 1% of God is good enough, that he could bring it through that. And so it's okay that I have that duality in me. It's actually a beautiful thing that I've got dysfunction because I now know that God will bring power and change and beauty and grace out of dysfunction. And so it's with that being said, godly psychosis. Psychosis is a severe mental condition in which thoughts and emotions are so affected that contact is lost with external reality. So there are two key components when I look at this definition that really leap out at me. Number one is that it's a severe mental condition, which means that when a person is in a state of psychosis, their reality has not shifted at all. Rather, their perception has shifted that the Thoughts and emotions they have about reality are what have changed, but reality is still static. You following me? The second thing I noticed is that they're so affected that contact is lost with external reality. If we no longer have contact with reality, that means facts and logic can't help us navigate it. That the information that I would usually utilize to guide my way through life, I can't lean on right now because I don't have contact with it. If you're in a state of psychosis, if you're hallucinating, especially if it's a very aggressive hallucination where your hearing is um, jacked up, your thinking, your, your visuals. It's like when somebody's having a hallucination, they can literally be hearing things that aren't there. And so in that state, it's like the contact with reality is separate. And so I can no longer use facts and logic to guide me. And so the takeaway from this definition, the takeaway that I take, I don't know about y'all, is that psychosis is about a change in how someone relates to their reality. It's a, specifically, it's a change in how someone relates mentally and emotionally to the facts and logic in their life. We got reality, the facts and logic, and then we got the thoughts and emotions, how I choose to relate to it. 
Now, this is, can be a very serious thing. I know that I'm using this in many ways as a metaphor to speak about reality on a high level, but we need to acknowledge diagnosed mental psychosis is a serious thing. This is something that can cause people to harm themselves and others because even though they're disconnected from reality, they're still confined to it. So if somebody's on PCP and they think they're so strong that they can handle anything and they jump off a building because they think they can take it and it'll be no problem, they're still gonna die when they hit the floor. So we're still confined to it, even though that psychosis is taking place. So we need to acknowledge that that is a real and serious thing. But that's human psychosis. What's the difference between human psychosis and the title of this message, godly psychosis? Imagine, you know that term where they say, um, thinking outside the box? Let, let's dance with that for a little bit. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Let's, let's dance with that for a little bit. Human psychosis says, I'm trapped inside the box, but I can't find it. So the result of that is, I struggle to function within the box. I'm trapped in the box, but I can't find it. I can't find the walls of it. Because remember, I can't make contact with it. I can't use my senses to find where the box is. So I'm trapped and I'm disempowered. Being in a human psychotic state is disempowering. But godly psychosis doesn't say that I'm trapped inside the box. Godly psychosis says I dwell inside the box, but I'm not limited to it. And the result of that is I'm empowered because since I'm not limited to the box, I'm able to influence the box. God isn't inside the box because God made the box. As the creator, you don't get trapped in your creation. That's godly psychosis and it's empowering. That's, that's the shift. And so what we're looking at is we're looking at two depictions where we're engaging with reality in a way that, in a sense, is disconnected. One is disconnected out of disempowerment, the other one out of empowerment. And when you're empowered, you now get to influence the box. Don't worry, I'm gonna tie this in. I'm gonna bring it home. Y'all with me? Okay. So there's core questions of this message. What is your relationship with the facts and logic in your life? What is your relationship with the narrative of your story? When you look over your life, when you look at your past history, what's your relationship with those experiences? When that person broke your heart and walked away, what's your relationship with that past event? Your relationship with that will determine how you show up in your next one. What's your relationship with your scars? What's your relationship with the emotions that came from the trauma you've experienced? 
Because see, when we talk about reality, what's your relationship with reality? Reality's actually not out here, reality's in here. Because this is the only place I experience it. So quite frankly, and this is gonna sound crazy, but we used to this because we a heart way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we go there. <laughs> I can't confirm that any of you are here because I can't verify it. If I shake your hand, I feel it here. If you speak to me, I hear it here. If I say his jacket is blue, none of you guys can confirm that it's blue. You might say, yeah, it's blue, but how do we both know we're looking at the same blue? And the likelihood of that, <laughs> hey, we got colorblind folks. <laughs> so, so maybe the rest of us ain't colorblind, but we just color confused, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Need to put that in Webster's, you know? <laughs> but what is the relationship with the facts and logic in your story, in your life? Are you willing to have crazy faith? Are you willing to engage with your reality in a way where instead of looking at what you're going through, instead of looking at what you've been through, you're not saying, oh, I, I got to step back. I, I can't do this. Oh, no, that's not for me. No, I'm not good enough for that. Even if the facts are saying that you are legitimized to believe that about yourself, You've gone through failures that legitimized your thought that I'm not good enough. All of that is creating your reality. And when you create a disempowering reality, you live in it. But can you have the radical faith to propel you outside of it? Because when you stand outside of it, now you can mold it. Now you can engage it. And now you can experience something differently. Can you have faith radical enough to make you take action on goals and desires that the facts of your life haven't supported yet? Can you, as God said, do a new thing? That's what this is about. This is, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. Let that sink in for a second. A new thing a new thing. Yeah, I know that 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts I have a day, 90% of them are, same, are the same as the ones I had yesterday. Yes, I know that by the time I'm 35, 95% of my thoughts, behaviors, emotions, or experiences are conditioned. Yeah, I, I know. I know I'm literally a body of patterns. I know that I live out my patterns on a day-to-day -day basis, but I can do a new thing. And God said that he desires to do a new thing in you. That's what we're talking about today. So my argument is that radical faith is the birthplace of new things in your life. It's the birthplace. And here's what I want you to internalize into your mind, even if you don't hear anything else I'm going to say. If you're saying that you can't have it, you're saying that you don't want it. 
if you're saying that you can't do it, you're saying that you don't want to. You see how this psychosis thing gets beneficial? Because you get to flip the script. And you also start to notice that you've been in this locked in state of thinking and being this whole time. Because that feels new. What? If I say I can't have it, that means I don't want it. No, I, this whole time I've been thinking I really, really want it. But at the same time, anytime anybody tries to pump me up or give me a positive mindset about it, I reject it. I want this thing. I, I, I believe, God, I want to I wanna have this business. I want to have this. I want to experience this. And every chance you get, you shoot down anybody that tries to motivate you. You shoot down the positive thoughts you yourself have about it out of fear. And so you lock yourself in the box because you're scared to get outside the box and realize that it wasn't what you expected. That's why you need crazy faith. Because it's not about being fearless. You can't be brave and fearless at the same time. The, the whole basis of being brave is standing on the fear anyway and saying, no, nah, I see you, but God's got better for me. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. You got to stand on that. So go ahead, fear, talk, but the voice of God is louder in my ears. And so this is my argument. That's my argument. Crazy faith, stick with that. Crazy faith is the birthplace of new things in your life. And this is how I plan to support that argument. <laughs> Y'all like there, go to scientist again. <laughs> I'd like for us to examine some scriptural evidence that God invites us to think in this radical way. To have this radical faith, to enter into a mindset of godly psychosis. The second form of support is to examine the scientific evidence, or some of the scientific evidence, that God intended us to think this way. Because seeing as science exists in the box that God created for us, that means God created science, obviously. So if that's the case, that means if I can look at the science and glean the insights from it, I get to pursue the goal that Albert Einstein had. Albert Einstein was asked why he does math and physics and all these things. He said, I want to understand how God thinks. So we're going to look at, again, the scripture that's inviting us to think this way and the science that shows that God intended us to think this way. So we're going to start off with a few scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Right there, God's saying, don't lean on memory. What you understand, the knowledge you've accrued, don't lean on that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Don't lean on your senses. Don't 
overly attached to the information your senses are giving you, if you see in it, if you hear in it, listen, utilize it, but don't be so identified with it. Next one. But beloved, this is one of my favorites. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Time. Don't let time limit you. Some of y'all have been thinking about something that you want, but time's in the way. No, I better wrap it up. That idea of having a kid, I better wrap it up. It's, it's too close now. It's not logical for me to be able to birth a baby. Some of us are thinking it's too late for me to pursue that life goal. It's too late. Or maybe some of you young folks think it's too early. He's saying, to me, a thousand years is as one day, and one day a thousand years. That's some godly psychosis right there. <laughs> now one to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. He's saying let go of logic because now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It doesn't say all that we do ask or think. It says above all that we ask or think. Any thought we can have about any concept, God does above that. God's saying, I transcend logic. So when you're talking about me, leave that crap in the file cabinet because I don't operate with it. I dance on it. I dance on it. And so when I say that God is my source, do I not have access to that? Come on, we're going to keep going. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's going to shit me on to the next one. Come on. <laughs> As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. The state of existence. God is saying whether or not it currently exists or doesn't isn't really all that important. Because I call those things that are not as though they were. I change the literal state of something's existence. So let go of that too. Don't let that confine you too much either. And the last one. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now that one's really a shift. Ask, it's, it's, it's literally a dichotomy. Ask as if you've already received it. So if I've already received it, why am I asking for it? Because this form of asking is actually a declaration. 
And it's not a declaration of ego. That's really where we got to get it right. This isn't about saying, talk, basically talking to God and be like, yeah, thank you for this, and thank you for this. And thank God's like, I ain't give you that. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, if I did give you that, you'd be acting a fool. That would ruin your life. So many of us ain't got no clue what's good for us. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Facts. Sorry, I had to sell for that one. Facts. <laughs> Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That means I can literally speak in a state of humility. That's why it's still a ask. Because I'm not coming to God with the gavel. I'm coming to God in a state of humility. And I'm not saying in authority, this is mine, I'm claiming it. I'm coming in humility. And I'm saying, God, here's my faith. I will stand on my faith before you. And I trust in you so much that I declare that what it is I feel in my heart, what it is that I see, what it is that I, that I feel that you've placed in me to have a passion and an interest and a craving for, I believe it to be already done. It's godly psychosis. And so when we look at these scriptures, they're literally inviting us to think outside the box but not just for the sake of thinking differently. This is, for me personally, one of the most practical elements of the gospel, that this mind has me locked in a system. There are things that my ancestors went through hundreds of years ago that I'm still trying to unwind out of my psychology. There's a part of my brain called the basal ganglia that literally stores patterns of behavior that go beyond me. That means my great grandparents had behaviors, were doing things that are influencing my behaviors now, hundreds of years later. And so to really ground this concept, this is saying, I want different. Seriously. Seriously. If we all could forget that anyone else is here right now but us, when you're all alone at night, what are the, as the Apostle Paul said, what are the thorns in your side? Where are the places where you say, God, I really desire that. And I don't just mean a thing, I mean an experience. Some of us really, really would like to wake up and look at a life that we feel like waking up to. A lot of us really have areas where we're seeking wholeness. And because we've struggled with that for so long, we carry those thorns in our side. And a key principle of being able to remove that thorn is changing our thinking about the thorns. Changing the thinking that it's embedded in our flesh and we can't get it out. We got to realize that there's a glimmer of the God who made the box, who stands outside the box, yet dwells within the box through me. 
So I'm not just here to live in the box. The Bible says that we are in the world, but not of it. Why am I not of it? Because even though it impacts me, I'm not limited to it. I'm not limited to it. And as a matter of fact, I'm called to change it. I'm called to be a change agent. That's why Jesus was so radical. He didn't come to do the same. They thought that he was the Messiah that was going to lead them in war against Rome. And yet he came out talking about, turn the other cheek. <laughs> but at the same time, he said, don't mess around and categorize me, because as soon as they started saying something about that, he went and tore up the temple. You know what I'm saying? So he was, he was both sides, you know? He was sanctified and he was gangster, you know? It was all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know how long I've been waiting to do that? <laughs> you know? <sighs> I got to keep it 100 with y'all. I, I didn't went off the topic with that, but. <laughs> when I started talking about Jesus, I get hyped because I love, like, you know, because I used to hear the old school stories, you know what I mean? And I was just like, yeah, you know, obviously, like, Jesus is a savior. Like, you know, it's, it's beautiful and amazing. But, like, I, keeping it 100 with you, but I couldn't resonate yet. Like, because it was like, Jesus was, was only this thing that was so far beyond me that I couldn't relate to the perception of Jesus' life. And then when I really started going into it, I'm like, yo, Jesus was cold. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sad thing, you know. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> because I love y'all. I love y'all for real. Have some fun up here. <sighs> going back to this godly psychosis, though. <laughs> We've touched on the scriptural evidence. Let's look at the scientific evidence that God intended us to think this way. So the first one, I, I, so I got two, two new ones that you guys are going to find really interesting. The first one I've mentioned before, but it's such a like, necessary foundational principle that I wanted to bring it up. This inverse inference problem, which you guys, if any of you are interested in this, I highly recommend. There's a PhD by the name of uh, Dr. Lisa Feldman, and she talks about this inverse inference problem, Dr. Lisa Feldman. It's fascinating because it really helps you to understand, like, or rather, it helps you to understand how much we don't understand. No, paradoxes, right? Huh. Um, this inverse inference problem, it's basically saying that our brain is this thing that lives in a black box. And this thing is the derivative, it's the source of our perception of reality. That our brain allows us to think that we're navigating the world. And it's doing that, gaining information from our sensory organs. Our eyes, our ears, all of those sensory organs, they're bringing data back to our brain. But the brain is still in a black box, which means that it's interpreting this sensory data and it's making a guess. It's making a model of what reality is. So in actuality, we never engage with real reality. Everything we engage with is our model of reality. When I look at you, when I look at your face, 
That is my best interpretation of what I think your face is based upon the, the light that is coming to me, based upon the, the sound waves and all these things. It's like all of that information, I'm making a guess about what you look like. But the one thing I can't do is actually look at you. You following me? And it's, you know what? I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna save it to the end. <laughs> I'm gonna save it to the end. So that's first little piece of evidence that's saying God intended us to think outside the box because if God created science, why would God create a science that we can't even know? Why would he create a reality that we can't even know? You with me? Yeah. Okay. You know I got to check. <laughs> Second piece of evidence. This one's super interesting. Tickling and time perception while dreaming. This, this is going to tear it all up. Y'all going to be like, man, I don't know. I don't know what's true at all. <laughs> so this is really interesting. They took a German university study. This was a university study in Germany. And you guys familiar with lucid dreaming? Yes. How, well, number one, for those who, who, who don't know, it's like for lucid dreamers, there is a far greater level of autonomy that they experience within dreams. They can become adept at being able to mold their dream experience. They're conscious of the fact that they're dreaming and they're able to impact it consciously while in the dream. And there are people who train this skill to lucid dream. And so they can literally lucid dream on command. And so this university study gathered a sea of participants who are all highly skilled, highly reputable lucid dreamers. And the whole intent was to identify the difference in perception between when we're dreaming versus when we're awake. And so what they would do with these lucid dreamers is they would get them to engage particular tasks in the dream. But now here's the cool part. They were able to keep communication with the lucid dreamers while they were dreaming through their eye movement. Because you guys are familiar with REM sleep. REM, rapid eye movement. When you're in REM sleep, your eyes are moving, which is saying that even though the majority of our body is essentially paralyzed when we're in deep states of sleep, your eyes aren't, because they're moving back and forth. And so they would tell the lucid dreamers when you complete said, when you start said task and when you complete said task, move your eyes back and forth. And they could see, they had like a little camera or whatever, they could see when they would move their eyes back and forth. And so based upon those eye movements, they were able to keep time and they were able to compare how time was moving in real life versus how time was moving in the dream. Sick, right? Yo, y'all playing. That is so cool. <laughs> what? Th that, that's like some, what, 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 Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, yeah, what, Inception? That's some Inception joint, son. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I'm in real world and I'm talking to somebody that's in a dream and then you're like, wait, am I in the dream too? <laughs> Gotta turn your little dreidel thing and spin it and look. Okay, okay, I'm in real life. Some of y'all didn't see the movie. You didn't get that joke. No. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. And so basically, two of the things that were very powerful was when they were able to look at the time perception 
and they were able to look at tickling. So number one, it was interesting how the, one of the things that they learned during this study was how the brain would control certain elements of the dream for the lucid dreamers to keep it realistic. Perfect example. When they would complete these tasks or they would do certain things, like during one of the tasks, they were told to punch another individual. And they noticed that the lucid dreamers could not punch hard in the dream. That whenever they threw a punch, it would just, there was no power. And the reason being was because the ability to generate power has a time element. I have to be able to generate it. So they could do the motion of punching, but their consciousness while in the dream wasn't lining up with their brain outside of it. So they couldn't put that much power within that span of time because the times were thrown off. You with me? And so that's saying, though, that the brain was trying to control it. The brain was controlling this dream reality. So the brain, as the scientist said, was playing God. It was playing God with its own consciousness inside of its own dream. The second one was tickling. They noticed that the lucid dreamers were unable to tickle themselves. Because in real life, you can't tickle yourself. You ever wonder why it is that you can't tickle yourself, but your friend could tickle you? It's because the, the, the brain is aware that I'm the one tickling me, so this isn't valuable information. <laughs> like, I'm not, like <laughs> right? So I, I snorted when I, when I laughed at that too. It killed me. <laughs> it's like, it's not relevant information, but if someone else tickles me, my brain is saying, that could be my friend, but there's a 0.5% chance that that could be the whiskers of a lion on the back of my neck. And if I don't turn around, brother man finna get lunchtime early. <laughs> and so a friend can tickle you. In the dream, the person, the lucid dreamer, nor the other characters, neither of them could tickle them. Because their brains knew that there's nobody else in the dream. Like, I'm mirroring this. So it'd be unrealistic to get tickled. So they couldn't be tickled in the dream. So, <laughs> oh, you could lucid dream, Cliff? You've been having a superpower this whole time? And you say, tell nobody? I'm, so, so I'm trying to learn too, bro. You know what I'm saying? Help a brother out. You know what I'm saying? So that'll be out to church. But the last one is this. Dark empaths. This is an interesting construct. Now, mind you, this is not a diagnosis. This is a construct. Sorry, my mom is here. She gonna, you know, whoop my butt. She, Boy, you know it's not a diagnosis. That's a construct. You need to tell them that, you know? <laughs> but we're familiar, obviously, with empaths. A lot of us identify with empaths as empaths. And essentially, as an empath, you are able to put yourself in the shoes of the other person that you can relate to them on an emotional level 
And because you utilize something called mirror neurons, when you observe the evoking of emotion in another person, your mirror neurons can mirror that in your emotional domain. So you can feel it. It's the same reason why when I watched Napoleon Dynamite, that movie was so stressful for me. Because he's so awkward. And every awkward moment, I was just like, ugh, like stop, stop, like just move on. It's those mirror neurons. And so because of that ability, that's how empaths are able to connect so deeply with other people. It's the reason why we have the tendency where, you know, when there's an empath and strangers meet them, they have the tendency to just unload their truth. You've known them for 35 seconds and now you're finding out about, you know, them being arrested in Nova Scotia 10 years ago. And you're just like, what? I just told you that I want coffee. We had Starbucks, you know? <laughs> this is abrasive, you know, that's it. And so that's what empaths use to connect. And it is a genuine connection on the level of emotion. But a dark empath, in my opinion, is one of, is, to me, it is the scariest construct as it relates to mental dysfunction. I think it's scarier than the dark triad. And the dark triad is literally a person who has a combination of narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and let's keep it 100. Half of us don't even know what Machiavellianism means, but that junk sounds scary as hell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Psychopathy and narcissism was bad enough. So whatever the hell that is, man, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the truth. But I, I genuinely see this as worse because what a dark empath is able to do is they have, remember, we've talked about modeling reality. They have such a cognitive mastery of modeling emotions that they can connect with you on the level of emotion by mirroring your emotion so perfectly, but the only difference is they're not feeling it. They're not feeling the emotion. For them, it's perfectly mental. And I've met a dark empath before. And they could literally turn it on and so believable because their gift is not to connect with the emotion. Their gift is to invoke emotion. So not only can they understand what you feel, but they model your emotion so perfectly that they can make you feel things just through your engagement. And so the whole point of me bringing these up is we live in a world that is seeded in illusion. Our perception of reality in every domain, whether we awake, whether we asleep, whether we alone, whether we with somebody, and they turn out to be a dark empath, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I can't go nowhere. It's just illusions all over the doggone place. You know what I'm saying? Stressful. I'm just looking for something real. Like, you hear people say that? Like, I'm just looking for something real. It's like, good luck with that. You know? <laughs> But if we just let all of this that we've been talking about culminate in this one space, we've been talking about the evidence behind accepting this mindset of godly psychosis so that we can step outside the box of our life and influence it.
I want to leave you with the most powerful usage of this mindset, which is that it allows us to ask different questions. Because if you can acknowledge that I have the ability to not just go by my reality, that the facts and the logic that I see, I can choose to engage with it differently. When you acknowledge that, it empowers you to say, you know what, I'm gonna ask different questions. Because if I ask different questions, I can get different answers. And if I have different answers, I can take different actions. And those different actions can lead to different habits, and different habits can lead to a different experience. And a different experience over time can lead to a new me. Can lead to a new me. So here's some empowering questions that emerge from this. Why not me? Why not me? What if it turns out better than I ever could have expected? What if I've been the answer? this whole time. Not my friend, not my partner, not my enemy. What if the answer's in me? What if I don't know my capacity? What if the limits that I've been so sure were my glass ceiling? What if there's so much in me that I don't even know what to do with? These questions change the perspective and they empower us. And they allow us to step into the same space that Christ stood into when Christ said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we adopt this mindset of having this radical faith of being willing to challenge our reality, it empowers us to be the light, of, the light of life. It empowers us that even though we're in the dark, because we don't, we're, we're in an illusion, so we're in the dark. Even though we're in the dark, Christ is saying, you won't feel like. You won't feel like you're walking in the dark because I'm the light of life. You're the light of life. Your own light will illuminate your way. But you got to adopt the mindset to step into that. And you got to be a little crazy. You got to be. You got to be a little crazy. Some of y'all looking at me deer in the headlights. Right, right. Some of y'all look at me deer in the headlights. But you got to be a little crazy because, listen, there's some things in our lives that we will never experience if we can't shift our thinking on it. Yeah, God said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But he said, might. You have to stop and think? There's stuff that God has for you that you, and definitively, because we can't do everything in a lifetime, but there are some things that God has for you that you won't experience before you in that grave. And that's something I take very seriously. I take that very seriously, because if there's anything that motivates me, it's that I want to make sure that I paint a masterpiece in this life 
And not a perfect masterpiece, just something I painted, you know what I'm saying? And I'm calling it a masterpiece, you know? <laughs> Y'all can decide whether it's a masterpiece or not, but to me, I'm gonna be like, mm, beautiful, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. It's my painting, I call it what I want, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I don't wanna go into that dark night with paint still in there. I don't wanna have any paint left in my drawer. I want all the paint on the painting. Whatever it is, I need to get it all out. I don't want to die with anything left in the account. And so I realize if I live in my limited reality, I'm definitively going to do that. But if I'm going to get it out, I, I, I got to get out. You know what I'm saying? And so all of this is beautiful. This is, you know, having such a powerful mindset and all that kind of stuff. But What's the challenge of it? The challenge of this beautiful, empowering thinking and way of being, this godly psychosis, can bring me into my best life. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge of this is, can you bring the power of this big, grandiose truth into your little, mundane, daily life? We can shout about the power of this now, but when you go home into that same environment, listening to the same people talk the same foolishness, can you be changed when the environment's currently still the same? Can we do that? That's the challenge. But we need to. If we're going to get what God has for us, there is a requirement on that. We need to show up. There is a need for this mindset. I'll put that one on the slides, bro. Thank you. These are some examples of the need of this mindset to be willing to do the impossible, to be willing to step out of your reality. Number one, functional long-term relationships. The statistics on the success of marriages and long-term relationships are so dismal that it is asinine that we still try to do it. <laughs> that if you actually stop and think about it, your desire to either find or maintain or restore a long-term relationship is logically ridiculous. Because the statistics are not in your favor. Second is entrepreneurship. <laughs> Cliff, yeah. Brother knows. Brother knows it's hard out here. <laughs> entrepreneurship. The likelihood of failure so far exceeds the likelihood of success that you have to be radical in order to actually invest yourself into that. And invest yourself in a way where if you actually lost or you actually failed, it would be detrimental to your life, which is a level of investment that's necessary in order to succeed. Like, if you really dive into entrepreneurship, you've got to have radical faith. You've got to be willing to be crazy about it, because if not, you ain't even going to get through the door. Autonomous mental health, especially for, I'll speak for me, my generation. So many individuals 
in this generation walk around with such confidence and such, and non-judgmentally saying this, I'm just saying authentically, with such ego. But there are certain things that if you removed it from their life, that crutch would have them fall on their face so quick. Y'all remember a couple months ago when Instagram shut down for like two days? <laughs> Folks was walking around here like they didn't seen butterflies for the first time in their life. <laughs> Because <laughs> they actually looking up when they walk in. And they're like, oh, oh what the hell is that? <laughs> Look at the beauty of God. <laughs> you know? It's like it's a butterfly. That, that is a crutch that we lean on. You heard it when we talked about this last time. But having autonomous mental health, where whether you're alone, whether you're with people, whatever's going on, that you have the ability to abide and abound, that you can be like Jesus on the ship when the, the rains and the sea was going crazy and he was sleeping inside of the ship during the storm. To have that, that is an autonomous mental health. To be able to have that type of peace, and it doesn't have to be to that degree, but to at least be able to have an underlying consistent level of stability, it's crazy for some of us. And so this whole idea of doing the impossible, right? When I speak about doing the impossible and getting outside of your reality in order to be an influence on your reality, this whole idea is not about just think differently so you can be a millionaire. Think differently so that you can be famous, or so that you can have accolades, or so that you can, quite frankly, please your ego. That's not what this is about. Sure, that can be, you know, achieving things is included, but there's a much deeper, more authentic level to this. That for some of us, achieving the impossible doesn't mean that. For some of us, living the impossible is just having a life we actually want to wake up to. Achieving the impossible is overcoming generational patterns of depression. It's overcoming pains and traumas that weren't given to you. But now as an adult, it's your responsibility to manage it and transcend it. And the day-to-day -day struggle you have is something that pe other people don't know about. Y'all don't got to respond, but I know I'm talking to some people in here. I know the language of quiet pains. I know the language of silent suffering. It's low, it's a murmur, but there are people in here that experience that. And we have to identify that even though, even though the facts say that my current experience today, that this might be what I experience for the rest of my life. That getting to have that peace, to get to have that promise of doing great things or experiencing great things or experiencing the grace of God in a tangible way that actually reflects in joy in my emotions. Even though the facts don't support change, God's my support. God did it. And so when I pray to God about it, I don't even need to ask him for it. I'm going to thank him in detail for what he's already done that I've just yet to see yet. 
that's the radical nature of it. And I'm going to leave you guys with this concept. I just talked about the need for this mindset. Now I want to talk about my need. I want to talk about my need. Can I be really honest with you guys? It can be a real day-to-day -day struggle sometimes, living in this mind. In every mind, but I'm only talking for me right now, in this mind. And I'm not just talking about mental chatter. I'm talking about sensation. Because when we talk about me being sensitive or me being emotional, emotion is like a living stream in me that my inner, the, the, the intensity of emotion that can arise internally from triggers. And I don't mean intense emotion so I express it, so that I react at somebody. I'm talking about my inner experience of stuff. It's like, you, when you see me cry, it's, it's because there's an intensity in here. And that intensity can be difficult to navigate because it's unusual. Not special, just different. Perfect example, and by no means am I comparing my cognitive experience to Elon Musk, but <laughs> Elon Musk was having an interview with Joe Rogan. And he and Joe Rogan was praising all of the things that he's done and he's achieved and yada, yada, yada. And he very candidly responded. He's like, mm, yes, I suppose, but no one would want to be me, though. No one would want to be me. And he's like, what do you mean no one would want to be you? He's like, no, no one would want to live as Elon. He's like, because yes, I have so many ideas. And a lot of them are great. He goes, mm, yeah, a lot of them are great. But these ideas are nonstop. It feels as if supernovas are constantly exploding in my mind. So much so that oftentimes I can't sleep because they don't stop. That's how ideas hit him. That's the level of genius this man has. I can't relate to that. But a lot of times, it can feel like supernovas are exploding in my emotion. And so when you see passion or sadness or whatever, it's like what I'm expressing externally is 90% of the time not the full expression of what I felt internally. And that can be a challenge sometimes, especially when you're carrying that experience by yourself. And so for me, this mindset allows me to step back from the triggers, step back from the narratives in my reality. Yeah, sure, even the emotion, I may feel it, it may be intense. Yeah, the trigger, whatever it was that, that motivated that emotion, sure, it's real to me, but I don't gotta buy into it, I can step back. I can go beyond the experience. Do you get what I'm saying? It's something that's valuable to me. But the other reason that I need this mindset is because psychologically, when you have 
struggles that you navigate on a consistent basis, it can weaken your morale. It can weaken your perception of self. It can weaken your positive, your, your, your confidence about what you can do in the world and what you can experience. It, you follow me? And it's like, I know my stuff. I know my fears. I know my self-doubt. I know my failures. I know my criticisms. And when I stop and think about it, the worst part is I got the data on all of it. My brain keeps the receipts on my mess-ups. It keeps the receipts, and it always makes sure to bring them up and remind me. And so in many ways, that can become my reality. But when I step outside of that reality, when I enter into a godly psychotic state, I remember that there's a diamond in me. That, there's a, that no matter my stuff, that God has embedded a diamond in me. That I know that deep, deep within that dirt, deep, deep in those layers of, of mess and imperfection, and the shyness and the fears and all of that, there's a diamond, and it is the seed that God has planted. And that dirt is just providing it the nutrients it needs to grow. And I know that because I have this diamond, I need to show it to the world. I'm, listen to me. I'm being serious as a heart attack. I'm saying it right now. I will be on stage in front of millions of people, and it's not because of Ryan Howe. It's because I got something that I know I got to put out there. And I don't care whether anybody sees it right now, because I know it. I knew it when I was six years old. But it's something that God embedded in me. And it's not mine. I'm nothing more than a foolish vessel that he chose for it, just like every one of us is. But in order for me to know my stuff, and yet see my transcendence, I got to be willing to have crazy faith. I got to be willing to relinquish the reality because I know that fire I told you about, I know that that fire God put in me to burn some powerful stuff up. I know he put a purpose in it. There's no reason that I'm this jacked and I'm this sensitive simultaneously. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> But I know that he put that in me for a reason. I know that when I cry, it's because, it's not just because I'm emotional, it's because there's a living stream in my belly that God wants to water other seeds and he wants to do valuable things with that stream, that it's in me. But in order for me to act on it, in order for me to move in a way that will leverage that that is embedded in me, I got to have faith. I have to step out of my reality. And so I want to leave you guys with this. It's a question. It's a statement followed by a question. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. It's the substance. It's literally the place that newness comes out of. It's our faith. So my question is, what do you hope for? 
what are you hoping for that you don't have the evidence to support? And are you willing to speak those things which are not as though they were and act on it? That's a godly state of mind. I love you guys. We love you so much, Hardway. I appreciate you guys. God bless. See you next Sunday.